We finished 21 days with God last week, but hopefully your days with God haven't come to an end. Uh, we still have some cards if you have your word that God has been putting on your heart this last 21 plus days. Uh, we'd love to know what that word is. So there's cards out in the lobby. You may have received a card. You can fill that out and just put it in the offering boxes on your way out so we can be praying for that word. Uh, I had a chance to look through the cards this week, and there's some really good words. And so I'm just excited to see how God's been working in your lives. And uh, my prayer partner and I, we, we, uh, we prayed again this week. And then uh, starting tomorrow, uh, he's starting a new prayer partner, and I've, I've started a new prayer partner as well. So we're just hoping to kind of have some different prayer partners throughout the year. You decide what God's calling you to do. And if you still are like, I don't know what you're talking about, uh, I want to encourage you to find someone to pray uh, daily uh, with. Maybe it's over the phone. Maybe you have a chance to see each other in person. And you can just have a moment of prayer and just take turns. One person prays one day. The next time they pray, the other person prays. And it doesn't need to be long. Uh, but just having that moment is pretty cool. You're deepening relationships here, but we're also deepening our relationship with God. So we're excited for that. I want to invite you to your Bibles to Matthew chapter two, 5, verses 27 uh, through 37. It's on page 786 on the Bible in front of you, the little pew Bible. Uh, so we want you to follow along. And I'm just going to say, we're going to be in a lot of Bible verses today. Uh, so just kind of be ready to open your Bibles and thumb through some scriptures. Uh, most of them I've put the script, the, the page number on for the Pew Bible, if that helps you. But we value the Bible as God's word here at Berlin Church, and so I would love for you to follow along when I say, you know, come to this Bible text. Uh, we're going to spend a couple of minutes in it. We're, gonna, we're going to do that. I also want to say a special thanks to Nick Babs, who did a great job preaching for us last weekend. Yeah, he did really, really good. I'm very proud of you, Nick. Uh, thank you uh, so much. And uh, we gave him a hard topic. I mean, he had to teach about anger and hell. And uh, that's, I'm, I'm so thankful. So he did a good job. And church, way to be a church that's growing up uh, preachers. And I, that's one of my prayers, that we can get some kids to, to Bible college and into ministry and you know, missions and whatever God is calling them to be. Because let's be honest, uh, we need more preachers. We need more preachers. And I don't think they're going to come from Amazon or Walmart. They're going to come from the church. And so we have a responsibility to raise up some preachers. So thank you, Nick. Appreciate you. And uh, Nick basically summarized this sermon, honoring others honors God's heart. Honoring others honors God's heart. And uh, he dealt with that difficult emotion of anger. And today, this, this sermon series continues. We've been walking through Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, this beautiful, powerful Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached. And I warned you a couple weeks ago that this sermon gets hard. Like Jesus is going to just start really laying it on the line and setting the bar really high. And so last week, Nick reminded us, you know, if you're angry with your brother, it's like you've murdered them because they're valuable in God's image. And so now Jesus is going to talk about uh, another emotion and desire. It's, it's lust. And so he's just going to kind of, again, step the bar up higher. And so I just wanted to say right now, buckle up. This week's going to be hard. The, next, the rest of chapter 5 is hard stuff to, to work through, but it's really uh, powerful and helpful. So I love that about Jesus, that he really just puts things very clear. 
And so if I could summarize really most of chapter 5, it would be something like this. Jesus wants kingdom relationships founded on sacrificial love. And Jesus wants kingdom relationships founded on sacrificial love. If you're angry with your brother, that's not good. So we need to work out sacrificial love toward our brother. And now it's going to be talking, he's going to turn the attention to marriages. And church, I want Berlin Church to be a, a community where we support Christian marriages. And let's be honest, marriage is always on, it's under attack the evil one wants to divide and dissolve, and there's just so many things that are just challenging out there. And I'm just going to say this. I'm not going to be able to say everything about marriage and divorce today, but we're going we're gonna to make a run at some of these big picture items here. So are you following me? Here's what the goal is today. We're going to walk through three descriptions of kingdom relationships three descriptions of kingdom relationships. The first description we find in Matthew 5, 27 through 28, is that kingdom relationships focus on the condition of the heart. Kingdom relationships focus on the condition of the heart. Here's, where Jesus, here's what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. He's quoting one of the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, this actual command. And again, they're repeated in Deuteronomy 5. As followers of Jesus, it's important for us to know where those are. Last week, Jesus pre preached about, Jesus said, you know, you've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. That's again, one of the Ten Commandments. So he's starting to tick through some of these commands. And remember earlier, he says in chapter 5, 17, don't think I've come to abolish these laws or the prophets. I've not come to abolish the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill them. And so he's going to start walking through a couple of Ten Commandments, the murder one. Now he's saying adultery. Basically, adultery is any sexual relationship outside of the covenant of marriage. So if you are involved in a sexual relationship outside of marriage, that is adultery. And so he says, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Verse 28. But I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So much like he said, okay, you've heard it said you shall not murder, but I tell you if someone's even angry with your brother or sister, it's like you've murdered them. And so now he's saying, okay, you watch your eyes. And it seems to be that he's talking to the guys, but I think as we're going to follow through here, this is you know, male or female, but he's just going to walk through the dangers of our thoughts. And our thoughts lead to our actions. I'm thankful for my brother Nick. Last, last week, he, he read a proverb. And I told him as I was practicing this sermon with him, I'm like, I can't even tell you the last time I used a proverb in one of my sermons. And it really convicted me. So I said, guess what? I'm going to read a proverb in my next sermon. So I want to take you to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32. Proverbs has a lot to say about uh, sexual purity and young men and their, their walks. And so this is one I read this week in my daily Bible reading. Proverbs 6, 32. But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. He's saying it's not a good idea to go messing around with someone who's not your wife. Or if you're married, you could get hurt. He said, it can destroy you, so don't do it, is the, is the wisdom there, just to be on your guard. 
our young men, uh, there's a few of our men in a discipleship group on Monday nights at Michael's. And I almost, guys, I almost threw the picture of you guys dogpiling at Michael's, but I didn't put that picture up there, but I thought about it. But they're walking through 2 Peter, and so 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter might have been there, I would think, on that, on that day when Jesus preached this sermon. And 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, he writes in his letter about people, he says, with their eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. So Jesus and Peter both are highlighting the dangers of our eyesight, the dangers of our thoughts. And this idea of someone who looks at a woman lustfully or with lustful intent so this word for lust just means a deep longing, a deep desire. Sometimes, on a few occasions, it's just it's a neutral or a, it can be used in a positive term. Jesus said, I deeply desire to have this meal with you when he talked about the Lord's Supper. Most of the time, though, this is a powerful, passionate desire for something or someone that is off limits. And so he's talking about this deep desire, this longing, this lustful intent or gaze might even be staring. Here's what John Stott says. He says, any and every sexual practice which is immoral in deed is immoral also in look and in thought. So if it's wrong to do it physically, then it's probably wrong to do it in your mind and in your heart. Because remember, what we think could come out in our actions because you have to think about it before you do it. So Jesus is con wants to us to be focusing on the conditions of our heart. Jesus talks about the heart three different times in this sermon. We, we've seen it earlier in chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We have it in our text here, verse 28. And then it's also in chapter 6, verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as kingdom followers, we need to protect our hearts. We need to focus on the conditions of our heart. One more text here on the heart that Jesus preaches from. It's in Matthew chapter 15. I invite you to go there. Matthew chapter 15 verses uh, 18 and 19, and it's on page 796 if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible. But he's just talking about the condition of the heart. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. So you think it, then you say it, then you do it. He says, for the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Here's the list, he says. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. And it's almost like he's walking us through the Sermon on the Mount again. Murder, talked about that last week. Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. So followers of Jesus, how is our heart? What safeguards are we placing on our hearts? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says, Jesus does not impose intolerable restrictions on his disciples. He does not forbid them to look at anything, but he bids them to look on him. 
He says, I want you to look at me, Jesus says. If they do that, he knows that their gaze will always be pure, even when they look upon a woman. So far from imposing on them an intolerable yoke of legalism, he aids them with the grace of the gospel. So you might think, well, Jesus, you're being pretty strict here. This is kind of a big deal. And he's like, just look at me. I will help you. So first description, kingdom relationships focus on the condition of your heart. How's our hearts? What's in them? And how can Jesus help us? Second condition, kingdom relationships recognize the consequences of sin. Kingdom relationships recognize the consequences of sin. These are the next two verses, verses 29 and 30. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away from you. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What are you saying, Jesus? That seems really weird. Do you really want us to pluck our eyeballs out? There's some people that took Jesus seriously on that exact phrase. I think what he's saying is sin is so serious, you do whatever it takes to get it away from you. I think Jesus is using a, a figure of speech here that we'd call an exaggeration or a, or a hyperbole, but it's the idea you take sin so seriously that whatever it is, you get it out of your life. The Apostle Paul uses it this way in Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. He doesn't say just cut it off. He says put it to death. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That's another word for flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So sin is serious, and sin leads to death. Jesus says it leads to hell. There's a picture of Gehenna is where the word comes from, and it's the picture of the valley of Ben-Hinnom outside of Jerusalem. It was the city dump where all the yuch of the city went, and there was always this fire and smoke and worms and maggots, and he's like, that's where that stuff leads if you want to go down this path. So as followers of Jesus, kingdom relationships recognize the consequences of sin. Again, Bonhoeffer says, when you've made your eye the instrument of impurity, you cannot see God with it. And our men have been going through the men we need on Wednesday mornings, 6.30 at Subway if you want to join us. And uh, there's a, a section early in the book, we discussed it several, several months ago, uh, and he just addresses the, the, the challenges that men specifically have with pornography. And he, he actually has a chapter called The Good News About Pornography, and it's how when you walk away from that pornography addiction, what, what good things happen. But he was highlighting an online community of 700,000 people uh, called Reddit that have formed a support of living life without pornography. Here's two of the, the posts. It says, after 284 days without pornography, the writer says, I feel happier, 
more relaxed, less like I feel like I need a hit of dopamine. I feel more control in my life now. Another one said this, I had serious anger issues when using pornography. The two are definitely related. Watching porn changes your brain's chemical makeup so much that ir irritation and anger become a dominant emotion. And his title of his post was, I guess watching porn fills us with hatred. I wonder if Jesus knew what he's talking about. Because what did he just talk about earlier? Right before he talks about watch what you look at? Anger. Murder. The two are connected. Jesus knows us well. Here's one of the safeguards I have in my life. In my study, you can go right now, and I've got a picture of me and my wife right by the computer. She's always watching me. I don't want that to be a temptation for me when I'm alone in the study with my computer to be seeing things I should not be seeing. So I keep that there as a reminder where my eyes need to be. And I'm thankful for godly men in my life, leaders in this church. I can still remember sitting in my study a handful of years ago, just one of those seasons where life just kind of, you just kind of get worn down, and just kind of out a little bit. And they just uh, sat me down in a very loving, encouraging way. How you doing? They asked me some very, very intimate questions. And then they also said, hey, we, we know that you've, you're here quite a bit by yourself. Are you watching or seeing anything that you should not be seeing? And I'm thankful that they had the courage enough to ask me that question. I was so glad that they did. And I was so thankful that I was able to say, thank you for asking that question, and, and no, that's not an issue. I can say with a clear conscience that I'm not seeing, watching things on that computer I shouldn't be. But just to have godly leaders ask you or preacher that question should make you feel really good. And to date, I'm thankful that God protects me from that. But boy, it's, it's, it's a battle. So just be on your guard. And I don't say that because I'm above everything, because I'm not. I still wrestle with those temptations. It's a struggle. Let's be honest. But uh, it's important for us to have pure thoughts, pure minds, clean hearts before God. And so if this is a real deal for you, because there's, let's just be honest, this number of people, their struggles here. You're not alone. Jesus still loves you. Maybe today's the day you just say, hey, I, I want some help. I just want somebody to walk through this with me, and let's, let's kind of break this addiction. If that's you, God loves you. We want to walk this with you. So there's no shame, no shame whatsoever. You reach out to a brother or sister that you love, and they'll help you. Moms and dads, there's a resource, just the parenting guide for pornography that we've got access to through a ministry called Access that we'd be happy to help put that in your hands. Uh, it's another uh, tool. And let's be honest, moms and dads, where do you want your kids to learn about sex? From YouTube or from you? 
Thanks for listening. There's a study um, from the Center for Bible Engagement. And it's, uh, it just kind of says, okay, how often are you reading your Bible? And basically the game changer is between when you go from one, two, three times a week, it's basically the same. Once you get to four times a week in your Bible, exponential growth in your walk with Jesus. It's, it, that's, that's, they were able to tangibly say, that's where it takes off. Because chances are if you're in it four days a week, it's most days of the week. And their study revealed when those people are in their Bibles at least four times a week, 228% more likely to share your faith, tell others about Jesus, 407% more likely to memorize scripture, 59% less likely to view pornography, and 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. So maybe there are some guidance for you as you walk through this uh, challenging season. Third kingdom relationships value the covenant of marriage. Value the covenant of marriage. And again, there's about an hour's worth of material I'd like to say in trying to get this in the next 10 minutes. So I just want to say that up front. There's just a lot of things I can't have time to say, but I want to say, say enough here. So let's look at these next two verses. Matthew chapter 5, 31 and 32. Jesus moves on from quoting one of the Ten Commandments just to one of the laws in Deuteronomy. So not one of the ten, some of that legal teaching code that, Jesus, that Moses gave, but he's still fulfilling law and prophet talk. Verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Excuse me. So, what did you just say, Jesus? Well, I think Jesus is valuing marriage over divorce. I think it's very clear on that. This is not the first time we see divorce, even in the Gospel of Matthew. You remember the first time you see? I love hearing babies, so it's a-okay. It's, we need them. I mean, if we have no babies in church, we don't have a church. So it's okay. They can cry. We love you. We love these families. A-okay. Especially as we're talking about marriage, okay? So first time we see a divorce in Matthew's Gospel, you know where it is? Chapter 1. Verse 19, Joseph finds out that his wife is having a baby and he's not the dad. How would you feel if that was you? Here's what Joseph thinks he's going to do. Chapter 1, verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But the angel says, hey, Joseph, let me tell you a few more things about this situation. You, uh, you take Mary home to be your wife. This baby is from the Holy Spirit. This picture of divorce, though, is to, is, is to put him away. Send him away. And Jesus is referencing a part of the text from Deuteronomy. So we need to, again, go to our Bibles 
to Deuteronomy to see what, what are you talking about, this certificate of divorce, Jesus? What, what is this? So Deuteronomy chapter 24, we'll read those first four verses. Deuteronomy 24, it's on page 158. And we'll put this alongside of Matthew 19 in a moment. Deuteronomy 24, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house and after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her away from his house or if he dies... Then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. There's a whole lot going on there, and I feel sorry for this gal. The question that the rabbis wrestled with is, what does it mean for her to become displeasing and do something indecent? The conservative rabbis would say it's, you know, adultery. You were intimately involved with a man outside of marriage. That's indecent. There were other schools that were much more lax and said, well, if your wife just isn't pretty enough or burns your breakfast, that's indecent. You can send her away. And let's be honest, the culture we live in is much more on that side of the category than the other. And so I think as Jesus is speaking of that situation, knowing those rabbis are having these debates, he says, no, that's not what it's about. He said, let me tell you what it's about. You go to Matthew 19. Because they're asking this, the question, the teachers are going to ask him that same question again. Can a man divorce his wife for any and every reason? That's Matthew 19, verse 3. Matthew 19, verse 4, page 800. Here's Jesus' response. Haven't you read? He's, that's a polite way of slapping them in the face. Never read your Bible to the preacher, these teachers of the law? Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Right there, Jesus defines marriage, one man, one woman, before God. So they're there, verse 6, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. They'll ask the question, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Remember, kingdom relationships focus on the condition of the heart. Your hearts are hard. But he says that was not, but it was not this way from the beginning. So that's not what God intended. He says, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Very similar to what he said in Matthew 5. So Jesus is trying to highlight, here's the picture of marriage. One man, one woman, together, forever. That's the value. 
That's the intent. But people's hearts are hard, and that doesn't always happen. Scott McKnight has three helpful words to help put this covenant of between us and God and covenant of marriage together. It says God is, wants to have this covenant relationship with his people. He wants to be with them. Let's be with, let's be together with. It says God is for his people. I will bless you. All peoples will be blessed through you. God is for you. And then God is to. He says unto, but I used to use the word to, that this relationship's going somewhere. He wants to form you into something better, greater, just more like him. And he says those three words could also describe marriages. Husband and wife with one another. We're together. Presence, let's be with each other. For Husbands are for their wives. Wives are for their husbands. In the book, His Needs, Her Needs, by Willard Harley Jr., Sr., I keep forgetting, uh, he says one of the, the needs is that, you know, the husband just needs his wife to be the cheerleader. Because let's be honest, us guys, we're, we're kind of, we just need someone to prop us up. And so the concept of being for, one, advocating. And then two, that this relationship's going somewhere, that you're, I can honestly say I love my wife more today than I did the day I married her. And I heard people say that before, and I'm like, how is that possible? And the longer I'm living, I'm like, yeah, I'm starting to kind of figure that out, that our, your love just grows, and there's just a deepness that's, that's wonderful. So with four, two, presence, advocacy, and formation. And so when marriages break down, one or more of those falls apart. If the spouse leaves, they're no longer with you. If there's abuse, they are not for you. You see where it goes. And so the marriage relationship starts to break down. But it's not what God wants or desires. Here's what John Piper said in his book, this momentary marriage. He says, when we may divorce, when Christ divorces the church. You know we're called the bride of Christ. He's our groom. So he says, if, if Jesus divorces the church, then we can divorce our spouses. Now that's a little bit, ex he's, he's drawn a point because obviously if there's abuse and different things, there's, you get out of there, okay? Husbands should never beat their wives or physically, emotionally, spiritually abuse them. shouldn't happen. So there's legitimate reasons, but he's just trying to say, too much of the time we run into divorce really too quick. And one of my brothers, one of our elders here, is constantly saying, in divorce, no one wins. So we need to lift up the covenant of marriage as followers of Jesus. And the church should be the one where we wave the banner, where we surrender to one another. We display love like Jesus loved the church, laying down his life for the church. Husbands, that's what we are called to do, Ephesians 5. Love the church as Christ laid down his life for her.
Verse 33 continues, and I went back and forth. Do I include this or not? But it seems like it makes sense in this context. Right after Jesus leaves the teachings about marriage and divorce and adultery, he says, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath. Let's be honest, marriage is a vow. It's an oath before God. He says, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. It says keep your word. Your bond is who you are. Jesus wants kingdom relationships founded on sacrificial love. And I want our church to be a community where we are supporting one another, where we are walking through life together. You're not alone in any of these situations. And that you've got a community of faith here to support you. I think marriage is such a big deal because from, from Genesis to Revelation, that's the picture of the Bible. Jesus just referenced it. At the beginning, God, the Creator, made them male and female. Two will become one flesh. And anytime you hear throughout the Old Testament when God's people are wandering away from Him, He uses terms like they're adulterous, they're committing adultery, they're prostituting themselves with other gods. Jesus' first miracle was at the wedding feast in the Cana of Galilee. And we have this picture in the new heaven, new earth, Revelation 21, seeing this beautiful bride coming down from heaven. It's a beautiful picture. That's why marriage is such a big deal, because that's the closest picture that God can give to us about what his love is like for us. So I pray that you'll join me in pursuing these kingdom relationships founded on sacrificial love. Let's think about our heart. Let's think about the consequences of sin. And let's honor the covenant of marriage. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I want to pray over our church family. I want to pray for those who are joining online. Lord, we just opened up our hearts today. And Lord, we know that you are for us, you're with us, and you're working to make us new. So I want to pray that there would be a Holy Spirit conviction. I pray there'd be a Holy Spirit affirmation. I would pray that there would just be sacrificial love displayed through this church family. Lord, protect the marriages that are represented. Lord, we ask for help, for strength. Lord, we acknowledge that the evil one is the enemy, not our spouse. And we claim the victory of you. Lord, as we turn our attention to this holy meal of communion, may we remember that you love us. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.